Hello everyone, I'm Rob Warner. And I'm Elliot Jackson. And this is Just Ride, a new cycling podcast from Red Bull. Let's go. Is this the hardest race in cycling? It's like a game of poker, yeah. Not everyone in that peloton's getting on with each other, are they? I've seen these guys break bones and they just shrug it off. Punches throw? Uh... Oh, this is good. <laughs> this is what we want. Well, here we are then, again, back in the studio. Really excited to be talking today about what has got to be the biggest event in the world sure. of cycling, the Tour de France. 22 teams, 21 stages, 176 <laughs> riders, three and a half thousand kilometres of road riding in three weeks and an audience, according to the organisers, of absolutely billions. Oh, do you think you would make it? Can you do that three weeks? <laughs> Have they got an e-bike class? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've been doing a little bit of research. I've got uh, I got some fun questions for you. You want to you wanna do a little bit of a Good quiz? Good grief, here we go. Yeah? All right, you've sprung this Okay, on. okay, okay, okay. Rob Warner, come on down, come on down. The Just Ride. <laughs> okay, I, I know you're feeling good. You're feeling good. Okay, so when was the first edition of the Tour de France held? 1910. <laughs> you're, okay, I'm not going to say anything. This is multiple choice, Rob. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to remember back to your school days, maybe kindergarten, the last time you went to school. Right. A, 1827. B, 1903. C, 1956. There's no 1910. No, <laughs> so 1910. I'm going to go 1903. Oh, okay. So you got the first one right. What? <laughs> oh, he's off to a flying start. <laughs> it was 1903. Oh, I know my road. I know my road. <laughs> You're off to a flying start. You Woo. got lucky on I the first one. I think I should be asking the questions here. <laughs> the my race, knowledge is second to none. The race was actually created by newspaper La Auto as a way to boost sales. No. Well, is that how it started? Yeah, I yeah, wondered yeah. that. Like, what genius was like, yeah, let's ride 200 well, mile a day it's for three similar, weeks. similar, actually, what? Like the Michelin the Michelin Guide, right? It's Because they wanted you to eat, stop and eat at yeah, nice places. Yeah, it's uh, these newspapers and, and, oh, and stuff why? like that were innovative. Back That's in mad, day. isn't it? Back right. in the day. We'll go to the next question. Okay. <laughs> so today, the riders ride on carbon fiber bikes. They weigh around 7 kg. Wow. How heavy do you think the first ever Tour de France bikes were? 20 kg. I, I mean, I can. Uh, oh, is it multiple choice again? Still multiple choice. Sorry, yeah. I mean, you. I mean, you're asking you, a question like it's not uh, maybe, multiple choice. Well, like, okay, so well, could you, you say you at the end know, of each question, A, B, or C? Okay, yeah, okay. Maybe present well, it, me with a question. Okay, right, choices. right, right, right. I'm just so, saying. Okay, you, not a very eager, good game show host so far. A, Sorry. ten kg, B, twenty nine kg, <laughs> or C, eighteen kg. C, 18 kg. It was 18 kg. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, two out of two. Okay, the I should be commentating the Tour de France, man. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's been smurfing us. Okay, so the bikes in, two, in 18, sorry, the bikes in 1903 were made of steel, heavy steel and wood. Yeah. I mean, what, do you, what, do you, yeah, what do you think about going pinned down a downhill on a wooden bike? Not. Keen. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I'd have to check sort of wood. Oak is obviously going to be a lot stronger than balsa. Okay, I, I feel like you're going to do good on this next question. In the early years of the race, blatant cheating was a huge part of the battle. How do you think Hippolyte Akatorie uh, tried to get an advantage over his, his competitors in 1904, second year of the tour? Oh, God. Oh, wait, sorry. Okay, so Oh, we a, got, yeah, a, here we go. You've done it again. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, you not a mind eager. reader. Yeah, this is, okay, so A... He held a piece of cork in his mouth attached to a piece of string and a car towed him to the finish. B, 
<laughs> B, that sounds feasible. He took a train to the top of a mountain. Or C, he sabotaged his competitors' drink bottles. Oh, that's Cork, good. train, or drink bottles? Drink bottle. Because it's the most feasible. But right. the train's also good. I feel like you'd see a bloke being towed behind a car. I don't know. You are incorrect. Oh, no! I went two out of three. three, out of three. He held a piece of cork in his no, mouth. No, he did he, not. He almost got away with it, but he nearly beat the race officials who traveled by car. So they knew something wasn't right. So he was cork. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was cork in his mouth. He got a but, toe. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but all of those things actually did happen in the, no, in the early days why? of the tour. Yeah, there was a, it was a bit gnarly back then. Yeah, well, yeah. argued it's a bit gnarly yeah, now. It's still gnarly. <laughs> okay, so the next question, uh, oh, when God. is the last time a Frenchman won the Tour de France? Oh, a, don't tell me. A, it's going to be for wrong or it's going to be that. Okay, you want, the, you want the answers? Okay, so A, 2007. B. Uh, no names attached to this. It's when was the last time? Yeah, but no, you you're not going to tell me the name no, of the competitor. No, you only need the years for this one. But it'd make it easier if you told me who it is. I know that there's Richard Ferronk. I know there's that. Oh, Miguel Indurain. Where's he? he was Spanish. Go on then. Go, I mean, go, none go. of those. None of those are right anyway. Okay, so A, 2007, B, 1934, or C, 1985. It was. It was that dude with the glasses in 1985. Wow. Okay. What's his name? What's his yeah, name? yeah, yeah. French icon Bernard Hinault. Yeah, did he have glasses? <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't say anything in my notes. Am I right? Here. Am I right again? Uh, I mean, you, well, you got the year. Uh, he won his fifth Tour de France in 1985. And, you know, I don't think the, the French would still, I don't think they thought they would still be waiting 35 years later. I uh, agree with that, you completely. Get that hometown. It's rather embarrassing for the host nation. <laughs> you think so? You think they got home court advantage? Bernard Hinnock. Hang on. Hang on. He has got glasses in this, but it's a picture of him as an older man. Oh, just sorry, just doing. You think, it. If, you think that that's it's important. not ideal for a okay. podcast to be researched? It doesn't actually. Uh, it doesn't actually matter. It's not the bloke I thought it was. Okay, but anyway, I got the uh, year right. I That'll figured do. Figured it wasn't. Last year, <laughs> the Tour de France was won by Jonas Vingegaard in nineteen. Yeah, you're messing me up. In seventy nine <laughs> hours, thirty three minutes, and twenty two and twenty seconds. Imagine an eighty hour week on a bike. Yeah. No. No. Well, you got, what's it? Three, three weeks. weeks. I know. Yeah. I just threw that. Yeah, yeah. The route was 3,328 kilometers wow. and was officially the fastest edition ever. What do you think the Danish winner's average speed was? A, oh. 42 kilometers, 26 miles an hour. I was going to say 28 mile an hour. Go on. B, 29K, 18 miles an hour. C, 37K, 23 miles an hour. Hmm. I'm going to... There's a lot of mountains. It could be. I'm 26 miles an hour. 26 eight. mile an hour. That is mad. 23 mile an hour. That is wrong. No, it's not. Is yes, it 26? It's 26. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, why don't I right. trust my gut feelings? <laughs> you said 28. Yeah, you, you were, misled yeah. me there. You gave me a look that said it was the middle one. <laughs> well, viewers at home. Okay, okay, listeners. I did not. I did. Okay, so during the 2016 Tour de France, four time tour winner Chris Froome was caught in a famous crash with a TV motorbike halfway up the iconic Mount Vineau. Vontu. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Americans. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's not It's okay, fault. okay. With his broken bike and his team car and a spare bike along way, a long way behind, what did he do next? Started walking. <laughs> 
Okay. Did he? <laughs> did oh, he? sorry, it's Maui Choice again. <laughs> Was it A, quit the race on the spot? B, borrowed a spectator spike and kept racing? No way. C, started to run up the climb as quickly as he could before the team car caught up with him? I seem to think it's C, and I might even remember it a little bit. That's correct. <gasps> he he started to run up the climb. If you've never seen the footage of the photos, uh, it's definitely worth taking a look. In the end, the race organizers gave everyone caught in the crash the same finished time of the day. Did so, I? So, so Froome didn't lose out, and he actually won the tour that year. So, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And proved to everyone that he's also can jog if he needs to. Yeah, that's In true. cycling that's, shoes. Uh, that's not bad. What do you get? You got four out of six? You got a B? That's a B. Yeah, that's better that's, than I did at school. So yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. definitely yeah, the best you know, I've ever done in an I exam. Think I think this interview is uh, is going to go pretty. Do you know what? Pretty well for you. Weirdly, I love the Tour de France. Not weirdly. Who doesn't love the <laughs> no, Tour I de think France? It is. But, but yeah. I, I follow it like every for year, sure. and I don't really follow. It's so so the such the pinnacle of road cycling. Like, I feel like it's like the pinnacle of cycling. It is. You know? that's, like, no, exactly. Yeah. You're right. And I just don't care about anything else. Yeah. On the road, though, is yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> right. Like okay. That's all I know yeah. a little bit about the road because for three weeks every summer, I will grab as much of that as I can. Yeah. I don't even care about the bike racing half the time. A lot of the time, it's just to get those beautiful helicopter shots of where they go. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it, it is, is a tour of pretty, France. Pretty it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I love it. it I is. mean, especially too, like we've been in like France at the time and it feels like it's like the World Cup of, of football like yeah people going you know those mountains it's such a it's such an experience it's a French tradition yeah for it's sure a, and it's a global tradition in some ways you know to yeah it, I'm my my ex-mechanic from Giant my World Cup mechanic he has six weeks holiday a year from the bike shop he works at three weeks a year he takes off and he sits in his house and he watches Tour de France. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he goes. No, he watches it live from whatever time they start to whenever they finish. He watches the whole live broadcast every day for three weeks. That's what he okay, does. Okay, okay. That's mad, isn't it? I want to learn some more about it. Why don't we, uh, why don't we get this guest on? Oh, yeah. Let's go. So today, we're going to try and find out a little bit more about the Tour de France. We've got this incredible guest, a Welshman, the third Welshman in history to ride the Tour de France. He's done eight of them. He's been in the winning team five times, and he is known as one of the greatest road captains, whatever that may be, in the world, in the Tour. Luke Rowe, how are you, Luke? Thanks for coming on. I'm very well. That was a, a lovely introduction. Thank I, you very much. Well, it's good to set, set things off on the right foot. What is a road captain then? Right, straight into it. It's, um... <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know what one is. Do you know what one is, Elliot? Well, I mean, Luke, can you, can you start talking about uh, what is a Grand Tour? Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah, let's go there. Okay, Grand Tour. <laughs> yeah. Grand Tour. Let's take it back to basics. So there's, there's three Grand Tours a year. Um... Starts off with the Giro d'Italia, uh, which is obviously the Tour of Italy. Then it moves on to the Tour de France, which is obviously the biggest one. Um, and then at the back end of the year is the Vuelta España Tour of Spain. And a Grand Tour is uh, a three-week race, 21 days. You normally have two rest days. So it'll start on a Saturday um, and roll through three weeks. They're brutal. They're hard. They're unforgiving. But they're the pinnacle of our, our sport. And... Is that, if you're riding Grand Tours, is that your only focus? Do you ride other events throughout the rest of the year? No, you'll ride other events. Um, you're typically a, a Grand Tour leader. So the guys who are going to win these races, 
um, they'll focus on one of the three. Historically, you could perhaps focus on two, but you know the sport's got so intense and so hard, and you carry so much fatigue. Uh, Post Grand Tour, now it focuses more on 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 a guy really focusing on one Grand Tour a year. Has anyone won all three Grand Tours in a year? Did Stephen Roche do it or not? I can't remember. Is it? Is it like you said? It's almost impossible now. But back in the day, was it ever done? Do you know? Was it ever done? I have, um, that's a good question. Look, yeah. I've stumped him with this one. That's a great question. That's like, <laughs> I know. What is that? What's the horse racing? There's three of them, and it's like that. It's like if you win, Seabiscuit won all three. Seabiscuit? Well, anyway, let's let's go back to the... I don't know much about horse okay, racing okay. and Seabiscuits. I know a lot about biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of guys have, have, uh, have ridden three Grand Tours in a row, and I think most recently who became famous and almost made a career out of it is riding back to back to back to back year on year grand tours with a guy called Adam Hansen, uh, an Australian fella. And don't quote me on this, but I think he did 21 grand tours back to back. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's nine years and it worth, well, almost 10 years worth of grand tours. That's and he didn't, crazy. He, he finished everyone. He finished everyone. And so now that I kind of have an idea of these three week races, Tell me, tell me what. Hang on. Okay. Right. I, I didn't oh, like to go on Wikipedia okay. during a podcast, but I have. Uh-huh. Yeah, look at this. So far, the triple crown of road cycling in both the narrow and broader definition has been achieved by only three cyclists. Eddie Merckx, Stephen Roche. <laughs> Get in there. My road knowledge is full on. And someone whose name I can't really say. Amemiek van Vluetten. Vluten? Anamik van Fluten, female cyclist. It's been done three times. That's pretty incredible, huh? And so I guess, why why is that more impossible now? Because people are just focused on, you know, the Giro or the Tour or something like that. You specialize in one. Before I answer that, I'm also going to confess to just <laughs> going on Wikipedia. And, uh, Speak to me, son. You have sinned. Adam Hansen did 20 Grand Tours in a row. Hey, we so I was one off. Phones, thank God. You guys, I Good didn't old know Google that you guys it. were cheating. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I didn't even bring my phone in here. You didn't know. Elliot's Elliot hey, turned don't up know the answer, blag it. with a knife. He's not, he is not equipped wow. But back to your question. Uh, why is it so hard to do the, the treble nowadays? I think the sport has got to the point where it's so intense. It's so almost in the last five years, it's got more professional than it has in the previous 30. Hmm. Um, you know, guys are crossing their T's, dotting the I's. Training is so accurate, prescribed, specific. People are weighing every gram of food. And I think it's as much a mental battle as it is a physical in that to prepare and go to a grand tour, be the best you can and win just takes its toll on you. So then to repeat that two more times in the season, I mean, I, I couldn't do it. I think even just to ride two or three Grand Tours is a massive ask. But then to go and try and win is a whole new game, is a whole, adds a whole new element. To go and ride, you can have some easier days. You can have some days where you're a bit relaxed. Whereas if, you, if you're going to go and win the thing, every day you're all guns blazing 100%. And it's uh, a mental and physical huge demand. When, you watch, when I watch the Tour de France, which I do when I can, like every, if I'm at home and, or I'm near a TV, I watch the highlights in the evening because it's just amazing. But like, yeah, it must be pretty stressful, mate. And I don't know actually, you know, as we said, what a road captain is. What a, but, but like, you know, 
you have to watch every move of every rider if you're leading, right? You have to cover everything. You, the stress on the team and that lead rider it must be pretty intense. Is that something that you are a part of then, trying to sort of help the lead rider, if you like, in your team? Yeah, give us an overview of, of the roles in a, in yeah. a road team. Yeah, because we don't know that, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. So, f- first of all, um, what I've done in my eight Tour de France's um, is the the road captain role, which is an overglorified term. It sounds it sounds amazing, you know. Yes. If you're if you're a captain in a football, it does. Don't, if you're a captain in a don't football blow this, or a rugby dude. Keep team, it up there. <laughs> up there. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. <laughs> then it's um, it's it's a privilege and it's a band of honor on your sleeve. But in a, in a cycling terms, it's simply a case of you know you have your eight riders on the road. You have the director behind who has the radio comms in your ear. But essentially, in the race, anything can go wrong at any moment and you've got to make snap calls. And you're there amongst your teammates. And the big job is communication amongst the eight and back to the director. Then on top of that, you're trying to... At the end of every day, you want to get the most out of each rider and the order to use them. Some will have a good day, some will have a bad day. And then you're trying to look around at the opponents, look look around at the other teams. And on top of that, you're trying to assess, you know, your rivals, the rivals' teams, sense weaknesses and sense where you can use your team and your riders to the best of the capabilities. So, you know, you can make a plan at the start of the stage and that will come from the directors. Um, you know, they'll do a presentation on the bus, blah, blah, blah. This is how we're going to tackle the stage, but... You can make a plan. Is, that how, is that how most days start for you then, with a meeting in the bus and a team director going like, "This is what we're going to try and do today." That that's like that's where it starts. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so they'll it even starts before that. So in the evening before the stage, they'll come around to each rider um, if they're you know chilling out in the room, having massage. They'll go around each rider. Um, how are you? Blah blah blah. And then they'll make a plan that evening. The next day, we'll travel to the start of the stage. There'll be um, a presentation and it'll include, you know, the profile, the climbs, the generic stuff for that stage. And then it'll go into our tactics. What do we want to do today? What do we want to achieve? Uh, how can we, you know, you're trying, at the end of the day, you're trying to preserve yourself and exploit others. And what's the, what's the difference between, like, what makes a road team world class? Like, what separates you guys from everyone else? Okay, the first of all is is the obvious one is you, you need you need the talent. You need eight guys who are world class at what they do, and you need the most important thing is the one leader. You know, the guy who can finish it off. That's the, that's the most important thing, and from there you build down. So you have your one leader who's the best in the world and can win the bike race. Then you have seven supporting riders who are world class as a support rider, and then I think maybe something that bit of a different angle which people don't really think about and when I think back to when we had um you know huge success in grand tours and you know like you said on that beautiful introduction um being part of five Tour de France victories what I think about that is how well we got on off the bike and we we had training camps in Tenerife and if I paint the picture you're at the top of a volcano I don't know if you guys have been there the top of Mount Tidy um and, and there's nothing there. There's a hotel on the top of a volcano and there's nothing else. And it's, you ride your bike, but apart from that, it can be quite boring, quite long afternoons. 
but we had a right laugh and these eight guys that we went to the Tour de France with when we were having this major success were they weren't colleagues they were mates and we had so much fun off the bike and I'm 100% sure if you have a team that has fun off the bike and is mates off the bike that transfers massively to when you get on that start line and you're you just gel you're a unit you're as one and I used to ride with these guys and I knew if they were on a good day or a bad day without speaking to them, just sitting behind them and looking at the way they pedal. You know, Did you? Ian Stannard, I'd ride with him for, he's a British guy, I rode several Tour de France with him and, and he was um, a similar type of rider to me on the flat and we would ride at the front trying to control the brake. And I knew the way his right knee would flick out how he was going that day. <laughs> and we would no ride for 150k and we wouldn't even talk. We 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 knew each other huh. that well, and I think that's one factor. Apart from the talent and the the superstar within the team, I think it's one factor that can be overshadowed and overlooked a bit is that cohesion and willingness to to ride into a brick wall for each other. And you know, I guess that's sort of your job. Then is kind of to to. Is it then, like you say, you have these tactics set by the director in the bus in the start of the morning and say, you know, rider A, we're going to save you for the last climb. But if you see that he's struggling, then is it then your job to go, right, you're not, you you look like you're hurt and we're going to put you and you switch riders to sort of cover that last climb, for instance. Is it a bit like that, your job or not? Yeah, partly that, partly that. I think um, there'll be feet, so that'll be, I'll perhaps talk to that rider, speak to the car, speak to the directors and we'll come up with a plan. What if someone's hurting? They will tell you. Are the riders honest with you? Like, if you say you hurt and you're you up for this, can you can you cover this breakout? I mean, do they? I mean, your mates, but do they sometimes? They don't want to say they're hurting, and then you'll see them, and you'll be like, "Oh, that was the wrong move." Does that happen a fair bit? Or that's a that's a great question, and I think again, that's where if you have a team who are honest, like I said, like these almost dream teams that I was a small part of, that's where you have. Honesty, no egos. Yeah, leave your ego at leave, leave your ego ego That's at right. home, mate. I'm not interested, you know. And um, and in them times, it was, you know, you'd have some guy who was pulling in the last climb in the final for three days in a row, and then the next day, he'd go, mate, today it's just not happening. It's just not happening, right? You get on the radio, okay, so and so, he's having a nightmare. He's having a bad day. Things aren't going right. So, uh, switch it up. Yeah. But then you also. You don't want to let on to other teams that he's struggling, yeah. so you might try it. I thought of that because yeah. all the other teams are looking at you like you're looking at them. It's like a game of poker, yeah. And um, pretty fun, you is might it or say, not? Um, it's fun <laughs> if you're successful. It's fun if you're successful. You're on the yeah. so what is know. it? it what is cool. it like being in the peloton? Like, I mean, from the on the TV, it just looks like a swarm of yeah. people but there's so much going on like what is happening when you're riding with with the team and all the other teams in those big groups i think um yeah there's there's always something happen happening and you look at the sometimes i watch a race and to be honest if it's far out i think to myself this is quite boring there's you know it just looks like they're riding along and you know you'll see a couple of guys having a chat and guys going yeah. back and getting bottles from the car but there's always something happening and I think one way I kind of explain it is if you think the start of the race, the start of a stage, you've got a bag of sand and someone gets a, 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 a needle and just pops a hole in it and your sand starts trickling out. 
And that's your energy for the day, that bag of sand. And every acceleration, every time it goes uphill, every time you underfuel, every time you do anything, someone pops an extra hole in this bag of sand. And this sand is just dripping out the whole day. So the whole day, you're trying to minimize any accelerations. You're trying to nail your fueling. You're trying to accelerate a little bit slower out of the corner. Not to do these. Yeah, because every time you do anything like this, every time is and that's what like kind of what i say to some of the young guys you got this bag of sand and when it's when it's that's your energy yeah you stick too many needles in it this sand's trickling out your day and i guess done. you're trying so, to poke holes in the other and the other dude's uh, yeah. bag as well exactly exactly everyone's got their bag of sand yeah it's a simple way of trying to explain it yeah and so tell me a little bit about your background i heard that you uh you started on a tandem bike uh, with your dad, how did, <laughs> how did it lead from there to the Tour de France? Correct, yeah. How did it lead from staring at my dad's ass for three hours to the Tour de France? <laughs> not pedaling. He's doing a lot yeah, of pedaling. Yeah, he was not yeah. working at all then. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, it was good times. It was great times growing up. I think it was, we actually had two tandems. I've got a brother who's two years older than me and um, at a young age where we weren't quite old enough to go on the road ourselves um my brother would go on a tandem with my mum and i go on a tandem with my dad and yeah it was good times and looking back we had some great memories you you know go camping uh stick the the, the tent on the back and we you know we often wouldn't ride far ride 15 miles camp and come back and we spent many a weekend like that amazing and, but that's where the love of the sport started and it's given me and then as you grow older you can you get your own bike, you can go out on your own. And it just gave you, for me, it just gave you such a sense of freedom. Yeah. If it was if it was football, you would go and you would go to the same field every weekend. Right. If it was rugby, likewise. And But with cycling, I could go out my front door and I could, the world is my oyster yeah. as a kid. And I would, you can go where you want. And it's independence, you know, you guys isn't know it? How it for is. the first time in your life, really. That was the same for me with mountain biking. Yeah. When they came along that bike, you know, you can get away from the parents at 14, <laughs> go out for two or three hours. You know what I mean? It was cool. That's it right. Yeah. That's how, how it started. How similar it is yeah. for like all different disciplines and sports. I mean, even, you know, when I was four or five years old, I would ride like two houses down and be like, man, I I don't know if I can get back. <laughs> Who knows where I'm at? <laughs> yeah, miles away. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Good times. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you gave us a beautiful way of like, very painted a beautiful picture of how you started cycling on the back of your mum and dad's tandem going camping. Obviously, it couldn't really be further away from that now, the brutality of the professional peloton of the Grand Tours. Do you still enjoy cycling as much? You know, obviously it started as a leisure activity and now I don't even know how many hours you do a day, yeah. but it's not it's not a small amount of hours on the bike, is it? Let's not get away from the, the gnarly training you need to do to ride at that level. No, definitely. I think... Um... It's intense and I've, you know, I've, I think this is my 13th year pro. So it's, it's uh, year on year. It, it, and in, in some senses it gets easier and in some senses it gets harder. Um, certainly the training, it's year on year, it gets tougher. People, it's like an arms race. The more you can do, the better you'll be, which is not entirely true, but there is, there is a lot to it. So, um, I still love the sport. I still enjoy riding my bike. Um, I got to be honest. Sometimes I go out on my bike and I see it purely as a job. 
Yeah. I've got to. You do, I've, yeah. I've got to yeah, go out. Of course. I've, yeah, of course. I think it's natural to have them days. You know, you can go out and sometimes I've got to do five hours and you think, I'm doing this because I have to, yeah. not because I want to. Um, it, they're, they're rare days, don't get me wrong. Most of the time I go out, I enjoy it and love riding my bike. But of course, there's days where you think, I don't want to ride my bike. And that's where, that's the difference between it being a hobby and a job, right? Where you can, you can suck it off. And I guess you have to ride it, for want of a better word, almost scientifically now, right? It's not like you literally can go out, ride where you want. Like you said, as a kid, you can just a blank piece of paper. I'd imagine now your art rate needs to be somewhere where you want it. And I don't know, is that right? I don't know. It's, it's much more complicated than just going out for a bike ride. Do you know what? I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist in that sense. I probably haven't moved with the times as much really? as I should, if I, if I'm being, being honest. Um, the sport is going more and more like that, where you have to go out and ride five hours at X amount of power mm. or try and keep the heart rate at this or that or the other. But for me, generally, you'll have the two two different types of training days. One will be where you go out and you do efforts, and that's there's no avoiding that. You've got to ride, you know, certain blocks, fifteen minutes at this power, and then yeah. and, and that's specific. That's specific, and you can't really get away from that. And then you have your general rides where it's just a longer endurance ride where them days I like to just yeah keep it real and and go out get a few mates um you know some will be better than you some will be weaker than you and you just kind of ride around stop at the calf ride three hours yeah ride three hours stop at the calf ride home and keep it real and maybe I'd be better I don't know if I was to move with the times a little bit but a bit of me just I quite like that simple, yeah, freedom that was the reason I first hmm. fell in love with the sport. And I don't think I'll ever, ever change that. No, and it's nice to hear you keep that value. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be in a race for three weeks. You know, like how, yeah. <laughs> how fast you know, it used going. to be in one for three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can see where we're coming from. Yeah, we, well, like, we did downhill, you know what I mean? It couldn't be further yeah. away from For sure. Like, are you, like, what are the fatigue levels like for three weeks? Like, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's no getting away from uh, how brutal it is. I don't think you can really express it or explain to anyone who hasn't really done one. Um, you'd have to almost go through it to to know what it was like, right? It's like yeah. it's every day yeah. you're going to get up and ride another 200 mile or something. Like it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. insane, mate. It's insane. Whoever first thought of that idea said, you know what, we'll do this. You know, they must have been off their rocker, but it's um, it's just a constant wearing down process. And what I find is after after a week, 10 days, you kind of hit this barrier where the fatigue doesn't get much more and, and, and you're pretty cooked. Is that right? And then it just becomes... Yeah, I find, yeah. After halfway a week, 10 through, days, you're absolutely smoked and you've got to survive yeah. the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, and then then it... For me, it just becomes purely mental. Right. Like, Does it? I'm going up a climb, I'm suffering. I'm trying not to show it, but I'm suffering. I look right, I look left. They look a million dollars. But up here, I'm like, well, I know he's suffering, I know he's suffering. Yeah. So... It's all a mental game. And I think after 10 days, that fatigue level is there. It's not going to go, okay, you have two rest days. You don't recover diddly squat in a day. Um, you start the next day, you go again. And I think the last week of the Grand Tour is such a mental battle. And yeah, yeah I think it counts for, for so much. But certainly the fatigue is, 
you know, we do everything we can to recover, but at the end of the day, you just, you just can't, you're, you're spending more than you, you're earning. And, and so is that what separates, you know, a, a dude who would win the tour is just that mint, the mental strength that they have? Like, is this, is this the hardest race in cycling? And is that what makes the difference between the goods and the greats? Yeah, I think certainly, you know, going back to obviously number one is talent and you've got to have the capabilities to, to ride at that speed and that power for that long enough. But any Grand Tour rider, any Grand Tour that I've been a part of and somebody's won or had a podium or had, had great success in a Grand Tour overall, I've, yeah, I've just been, without swearing, hard, hard people. And you look at Chris Froome, you look at Garrett Thomas, you look at Egan Bernal, I've ridden and they've won the Grand Tour. And these guys, you look at them and you look at, they just look like skinny little blokes. They are tough, mate. They are, yeah, they're brutal. And they're, they're like little pit bulls. They just, they're on the start line. They want more. They want, they're, they want to race aggressive. They're tenacious. And they're just, you know, I've seen these guys break bones and they just, shrug it off they, I've seen them cut to bits and they shrug they just they're almost um, they're just tough they're just yeah. tough tough people and there's um, and, and in the third week that's where it really counts that's where you know one bad day and it's all over so um, yeah there's a lot to be said for that mental aspect in the back end of uh, a race like the Tour de France and you you mentioned Garrett Thomas what was it like seeing him win in 2018 i mean he's your your co-host um how big was it for him and and kind of whales and and everything what did that what did that mean to you yeah it, it was uh it was surreal i think uh, yeah one question i get asked is which was your favorite win to be a part of and it has got to be that one and if you think you know rewind the clock to you know when we were i said we were riding tandems not long after that is when i met Garing and he lived Two mile from a house. What and sort of age was that? When you were kid? Uh, yeah, I'd have been eight, maybe. No way. Been, so you went all the way up yeah. through cycling from the valleys to going and watching yeah. your mate win the Tour. That's <laughs> your Welsh mate win the Tour de France. That's insane, right? Yeah. A, it's a surreal story. Yeah, it it is. really is. And on on um, he gave me a yellow jersey after he'd won, and he we have the. The Mandy track, which is an outdoor velodrome, and uh, and on it he wrote, uh, "From the bright lights of Mandy to Paris." And that's really what it. Wow. And that's what it was. We, yeah, we grew up riding around the streets on our BMXs. You know, when we got a little bit older, we'd be out in the lanes, and you know, like when you're a kid, who are you going to be today? Ah, oh, I'll be Mario Cipollini. Wow. You can be Marco Pantani. It was like that, and we were just two kids growing up, and. I guess I followed in his footsteps. He was a few years older than me. He turned pro a few years older than me. Then we joined Team Sky together, which is now Team Ineos Grenadiers. And we've kind of, um, yeah, stuck together like glue. And for to see, like, I, I can never, ever win anything like this or anything near. I just, uh, you know, we, I haven't got the capabilities to win. So You haven't? Is that, me, is that something, is that something you've, you, you've settled with yourself? Is mm -hmm. that, I was going to ask you, like, yeah, actually, is, yeah. you know, Will your turn come? Will you go for the win of the tour? Will you be the team cap, like as in the team leader, right? But but you sound like you're pretty no. content with what you got. No, to be honest, when you know when you turn professional, you never really say 
well, I want to be a helper, a domestique, which is the the, the phrase we use, which yeah. is the French translation is, is helper. Yeah. Um, and when you turn pro, you don't set your sights on on doing that. You you envisage yourself winning races. Yeah. Uh, big races, Tour de France, Paris-Roubaix. That's how you envision your career. Especially, you know, we come from mountain biking where you, you would try and win on your right, own, but you're right, in a right. team, right? And you are you are given very specific roles, right? You have to you have to do what you're told well, a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And I made, I turned pro and first year pro, I, I did my share of helping, but I tried to win races. Second year pro, did my share of helping, tried to win races. And, I picked up the odd win, but it soon became apparent that I wasn't good enough to go out there and win multiple races a year. So I'm 21. How am I going to make a career out of this for 10, 15 years? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to try and be good on a domestique role, but I'm going to try and be the, I said to myself, I can't be the best winner in the world. So I'm going to try and be the best domestique in the world. And I'm going to try and make it that any leader, they say, who do you want to race this race with you? And I, the first name they write down is Luke Rowe. That's what I had in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not yeah. what, you know, I, I'm not overselling myself. That's what I said. Oh, to, I, I, I want to try and be. It kind of turned out that way. It's okay. <laughs> oh, there's some, yeah, there's some, there's some good guys. There's some tough competition. But that's what I, I said. If I'm going to, you know, give up this chance of trying to win races and go down the domestique role, then I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be the best in the world at it. And that's what I set myself up for. And that's what I've, that's the career I've pursued for for many a year, and I've been good at uh, helping hand to to many great riders. Well, and I can't win, but they can. So it's as close as I can come to winning is to be a part of their success. And I was going to say, you know, you've been a part of five winning Tour de France teams. Obviously, when Garrett and your mates win, and I imagine that's a different thing altogether. But does it like you know you're as we say, like from mountain biking, it's individual, but this is a team sport. Does that feel when the team wins? Is that as good as a win to you personally? It must feel like that, right? Yeah, no, it is. I uh, I got a massive kick and a buzz out of a, a teammate winning. And, huh. you know, if you think a lot of the time I'll be doing the earlier stuff in the stage. Um, if it's a flat stage, I'll be saved more towards the end. But, you know, if you think you've done you on a mountain day, it's flat, I'm riding on the front, you get dropped, you pass one climb, you pass another climb, and then you're heading up to the finish. I probably got six, eight K to go, and you hear on the radio, your man's finished it off. Your man just won the stage. Ah, it's just Yeah, wow. It's but you've done emotion. your work early yeah. in the day, you just gotta stay in time and get over that line. Yeah. Is that basically it? And does that ever become quite yeah. difficult? Do you have days where even that's a problem? Do you get that can you have ex that, yeah. that exhausted? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I um so I've done eight Tour de France's. I've finished six, and the, the, oh. the two that I the two that I didn't finish. Um, one I got disqualified, uh, and then the other one I missed the time cut. Mm. And uh, that was yeah, that was two thousand and twenty one, and it was a hard start. A breakaway went, which we weren't a part of, and then we said, right, we're gonna we're gonna start riding on the front of the peloton. And on this day, we did two laps of Mont Ventoux. So I started Up riding on the front. Yeah. No the buggers. <laughs> Up it, down the other side. Whoa. Yes. So I started pulling on the front of the peloton and trying to bring the breakaway back. We hit Ventoux for the first time. I was one of the first blokes dropped. And I was on my own. First ascent, do a loop round, second ascent. And I missed the time cut 
I think the time again. I don't quote me it was say forty five minutes, and I was I was forty six. Oh God! So I missed oh, I missed no. it by a minute. And then it's pack your bags and off you go, and the, the show rolls on, and you you're go out. home. So it, yeah, and, you're out. You're done. It's, it's devastating. Yeah, I was absolutely devastated. Yeah, gutted, mate. And Luke, what what happened with the disqualification? The disqualification was um, a bit of a ding dong with a fella called. Uh, Tony Martin, who's... Uh, I've heard of him. So I was riding for... Yeah, a great rider and a great bloke. <laughs> and, um, no, straight straight up. So he was riding for Jumbo, and they had Roglic. Uh, so they were like a top GC team. We were riding for that year. I don't know. We were riding for, I was riding for one of our leaders. And he had the same job as me. Mm. So we were kind of grating on each other day one, day two, day three, and... We got on well. We had that mutual respect, but we just kind of, you know, annoyed each other what throughout is the, the race. What, and what then... is the, like, the tension there? Like, what, what happens? Yeah, I'm interested. Like, there must be some... Not everyone in that peloton's getting on with each other, yeah. are they? Oh, no. No, no, no. There's swearing and shouting. Touching and... the front brakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Um... I mean, essentially, let's let's take it back to basics. If you think... Where do the crashes happen? Mm. They happen normally in the middle of the peloton, a bit further behind. Anything behind the crash, you're caught, behind, you're caught yeah. out, you're caught behind it, you're chasing. So where's the best place to be? Front of the peloton. Right. The road is only so wide, it varies. So only so many people can be at the front of the bike race at a time. So you're all, you're all fighting for that real estate and you all want to be in the front. You're going to be in front of the splits, you're going to be in front of the crashes, you can see the road in front of you, you can see the fans, you, can, you have the best run behind... Yeah is a mess so yeah you're fighting for position and it's on this example on this occasion it was tony's job to get his leader in front my job to get my leader in front and yeah one day it boiled over i think it was stage 50 16 um and we had a bit of a ding dong and punch his throat i could this is what we want almost yeah (laughs) yeah preheated yeah, it yeah, it got pretty heated and we both got thrown out the Tour de France right there, right then and um Did wow. you? Yeah. He just had enough of me and I'd had enough of him and it boiled over a bit. And now I'm in a position where I can look back, it's been you know, I don't know, five, six years, whatever it's been, and I can laugh about it, but I remember at the time oh, it's just again, horrific. You know, you 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 do this training camp with these boys in Tenerife. You go and race something like the Dauphiné before the Tour de France. You go to the Tour de France. At the time, we were second in... We racing, I was racing for Egan Bernal. Egan Bernal won that year. And um, he was second in the race when I left. He went on to win it. We knew we, we knew. So you guys still were we able to do win it. that year? And Yeah, and we'd gone through this whole journey. We'd gone through this, like I say, this group, this core. We were tight, you know. We were, we were, on, we were on this mission. And uh, to go home and then... You know, I think it was maybe stage 16. You're in the thick of it. You're in the Tour de France. Stage 17, you're sat at home in Cardiff watching it on TV. Right. No yeah. way. Yeah. It's literally, you, yeah. did you, I'd imagine you yeah. felt probably like you let the team down a bit, but did you get in trouble? Was yeah. that something that got you like some disciplinary kind of talking to's or did they go, hey, that's part of it. You're going home, but don't worry. No, luckily, um, well, there's a few questions there. Firstly, I did feel like I let the team down and I felt... You know, if anything had happened in them last few days, 
that I could have changed the outcome of. Yeah. If they'd have been a man short somewhere or if they'd have missed a split or if if I could have changed something in the last few days and I had watched that unfold knowing, well, that was my job and I'm sat here, that would have broken me. Luckily, it didn't unfold that way. Um, but we had Dave Brailsford at the time um, who was uh, team principal and he, he was he was absolutely brilliant and he could have... I, I, I deserved a bit of a talent off. I deserved some punishment, but they <laughs> said, you know, for many a year you've... Uh, You've done your job. You've looked after your teammates and it is what it is. Yeah. That being said, if I did it again, I'd be in trouble probably. Yeah. But they said, listen, this time we'll let you off. But they got and- it's good that they recognise that passion. Like yeah. it's almost impossible for you to be at the front there every day without that passion, right? You know what I mean? So a good good experience for you, I suppose. Well, one one thing I'll say is it was a mistake and it was stupid, but at the same time, I did it with the right intention and I had, it wasn't for me. I wasn't doing it for me. No, right. I was doing it for my teammate who could win the Tour de France. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing I'll, I stand by is that it was stupid and I made a mistake and I deeply regret it. And I've got, to this day, I spoke to Tony. I got a lot of respect for him. Um, but yeah, it was, it was with the right intentions. And you were saying that Garrett really was kind of influential in helping you put it in perspective. What did he say to you? Oh, he was just, uh, I, I remember a couple of guys come to my room and he was just, you know, I, I've, I'm i not really a crier, to be honest. I don't, I cry at my wedding and when my kid was born and kids were born. And I did cry when I let, when that happened because I just felt I'd let so many people down. And you think of your family, you think of your teammates, you, you know, it's, it's watched by a lot of people and a lot of people are supporting your team and you think, well, I'm leaving that. And he just came in and, yeah, just put my arm around his shoulder and just say, you know, there's not much to say, but it, it, it is what it is. And he was the one who said, listen, we all... Because my biggest feeling was for for the team and for, the, for them seven blokes. Okay, all this exterior stuff, I can deal with that, whatever. Um, you know, family, they'll always love me. But my, my, my feeling and who I felt sorry for was the seven blokes that I was leaving behind. And he, would say, he, and he said that what I just said is that, you know, you did it for the best intention and you didn't do it for yourself. You did it for, for us guys and we appreciate that. So is what it is. And he said, make sure you come to Paris. And uh, and I went home. I had a few days at home, so I, I'd have been at home. Did you did you want to go home? Did you, need go, did you feel like you needed to go back to Cardiff? I mean, you could have hung out, right, in France, but you wanted to get away or... Do you know what I said to Dave? I said... Um, Right, I'm out. What what do I do? I said, if is there anything I can do to help, I'll stay and help. I'll give out bottles on the side of the road. Anything I can do. And he said, No, I listen, there's a lot of noise around it. You're better off just going home, chilling oh, out. Oh, is that and right? Just kind of ducking out. What actually then, happened? They... <laughs> <laughs> what happened with yeah, Tony? Well, yeah, yeah, because you said it. You said you did it for the team, and I was Rob like, well, just, what, "What did you do? What sort did you of do? drama?" That Rob is like, "Oh my god, I've never." I seen I want to get to the bottom of the drama. Yeah. Do you know what? In any other sport, this would be nothing, but it's just because it's road cycling. It's, it's blown up into something it shouldn't be. So it's all right. So what actually happened on that day, coming into the climb. We're coming into a final climb. We were fighting for position. I was trying to go up the inside of their team. They chopped me off. I was in the gravel on the side. Oh. Mm. I then got in front of their... I retaliated. 
stupidly got in front of their leader, tried to mess him up a bit. <laughs> a couple little right yeah. Check, yeah. Right checks. Check. <laughs> yeah. Ah! I love it. <laughs> I'm not proud of this. I'm just being honest now. Just keep uh, going. It's awesome. <laughs> and then we turned into the climb. Tony had seen what happened. I tried to pass him and he fully switched me, hit my front wheel. I almost came off. Then I tried to get around his other side. He went the other way. It's all on YouTube if you want to check it out. It's road ride. Um, Yeah, and then... It's it's funny you say that because literally in mountain biking, BMX, like any other sport, this is just a normal Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't like... The way you tell the story and the way you get thrown out of the race, it's like, this is full-on fisticuffs. It wasn't. But but then when I went round him, I, I put my hand on his shoulder, neck, and like to get past him. The rest is history. Is that a bit because you touched him? Is that the bit that kind of got made it all blow up then? It was like turned, they sort of physical all of a sudden or something. I think it was, when you look at it, it's just a bad image just for the a sport. Mess, yeah. And we were, we were smack bang front and center um, of the peloton. It wasn't like in the middle of the peloton, it wasn't hidden. You know, it's live getting streamed to, yeah. you know, all the countries and all the, all the viewers. And, you know, I look, up, I look back at it and I just cringe. It's, it's, terrible image for the sport myself the team so yeah i think also also quite harsh to throw us out yeah I think, you know could have done with a slap slap on the wrist and a fine or whatever but yeah. it is what it is and you got to live with these things and you make mistakes in life and you got to move on you can't live with regret so yeah what's done is for done. sure I, there's no emotion in sport and where is emotion like you know i i did enjoy that story because i could just well, it's just real, isn't it? It's just, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you want to be, it's just how it is. It's so competitive and sometimes it boils sleeve, over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sport. Yeah, that's sport. That's yeah. why we like it. <laughs> that, that, that resonates with you, Rob. <laughs> I've had a few moments. Are you, are you, <laughs> that resonates with you. Are you, a mad, yeah. are you a mad dog, Rob? Yeah. Are you a mad dog? But not anymore. A couple of, but uh, I had a bit of a moody, uh, a bit of a moody couple mountain bike. thrown outs. couple of. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I got fired from mountain bike teams quite a lot and kicked out and bands and fights yeah it was good fun but you know right, as I soon as I finish this recording I'm going to google you and YouTube you yeah and see how much of a mad dog you really are so Luke I'm looking forward to it tell me I feel like there's so many different kind of sides to to road cycling um tell me about the Lantan Rouge because like it seems like it's a bit of a a double-edged sword if you will like where it's the last place, but then at the same time, you said you had a good race. Um, yeah, what is it? And, and what, what happened there in 2017? Lantern Rouge is, um, well, there's quite a lot of history behind this. And historically, when the Tour de France first started, there would be the, the last car in the convoy would have a red lantern on it uh, to show, to, to light up the road for the last guy in the Tour de France because he would often be finishing in the dark because he was so far behind. So then they started giving out an award, Lantern Rouge, um, which, yeah, Red Lantern, obviously, uh, to the the last place finisher in the Tour de France, which I, I don't know if you could say I won or I lost it, but I I got this award in 2017. (laughs) I was was last place. And, um, but one thing to, so that year on stage two, I, I crashed and broke three ribs. And uh, oh, wow. this is a constant theme with the 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 Lantern Rouge. It's always someone who who is kind of injured or ill, 
or battered mm. or uh, crashed. It's always someone like that. It's not the sprinter or the worst climber. It's always someone who's just battled through, really, Gone and just had... It, um, yeah. it was Chris yeah, Froome, and, and, well, and, and that, told me. Mm. There we are, because yeah. I remember we, we bucked the peloton. Thanks. So I, I'm here. My knowledge is, uh, yeah. you know, road knowledge is there. Yeah. So just any fire we, we, were, we were first and last within the team in the Tour de France, so it was quite <laughs> Why? Quite That's strange. quite bad, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And then I moved... So, so that was 2017, got the Lantern Rouge, and you actually get a physical red lantern. And oh, um, I was moving into a, I was moving into, I just bought a house back in Cardiff, so I moved into there, and we got a, I got a bar in the, and, and I'd finished the Tour de France, moved home, and I moved into the house. So I said, right, this room is going to be the bar, you know, I got a darts board, and my mate built a bar full of beer, whatever, and we weren't sure what to call the bar. Yeah. So now ironically straight away i thought i know what we're going to call the bar so it's the lantern rouge uh, so i hung that up in there thing. and the bar in my house is called uh the lantern rouge perfect and I, I i feel like you you know you mentioned that you've just been in the sport for so long you you host a podcast with jaren like what is it is, is that one of the ways you kind of keep the passion like are you super involved Do you love the scene i think that that's for me that was always one of the things that i loved the most was just like the culture of being there, seeing my friends, like all of that stuff. Do you, um, do you kind of take in the whole thing now? Yeah, I think, you know, when the day comes and I do retire, that's the the thing that I'll miss most would be the, the time around the guys and the time on the bus as opposed to the training camps and the racing itself. Just that, you know, that being with a bunch of blokes on a mission and you're on a start line and you're on the bus and that ambience and that, you know, collective group trying to achieve something great. Uh, that's what I'll miss. And I think, you know, we, yeah, we do have the podcast with, with G now, What's Occurring. Check it out. It's mega. That's a plug. Um, and <laughs> You've got a few more day, tours we're, we're, than you get though, ain't you, Luke? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounded a bit of Atari <laughs> over there then. I don't know. No, no, there's still life in me yet, mate. I'm not, I'm not throwing in the towel. And, uh, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, why do we get into the sport? It's because we were fans of the sport. I don't think it ever really right. changes. No, you that's always, right enough, I've, mate. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I love the history of the sport. Yeah. You know, I still watch other races. I still look up to fellow professionals, you know, other riders and other teams. And I go, he, he's mega, he is. I like a lot of respect for him. And probably without realising it, you, you're fans of people within the peloton that you're racing against. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, we that, have that in yeah. mountain biking. We commentate on our idols sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, even though we've done it, we've been there as well. It, yeah, and all the history and that. It's what makes a sport, isn't it? Man, Luke, this has been yeah. such a pleasure. Like, it, it was Very so fascinating. Yeah. yeah, brilliant, mate, really. We, we could actually chat all afternoon yeah. about it, but <laughs> unfortunately we can't. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I think uh, there's a lot of questions I want to ask you as well, but we haven't got all day, have we? I want to, I want to get into the nitty gritty of how mad you are. Ask <laughs> <laughs> Dave Brailsford, he remembers me. That was strategic by Rob. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Dave remembers me. I've met Dave at them. When he was doing mountain biking, I hung out with him a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we are. I'll get, I'll get all the stories. Thanks for explaining some of the stuff we didn't know about the tour to us. And it is just the most phenomenal watch every day. I just can't get over how hard 
and our gnarly road riders are, from the crashes to the downhills to the physical physicality of climbing the biggest mountains on planet Earth, man. It is, you know, it's, it's an insane spectacle to watch. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, that was incredibly interesting. And I think, you know, I'd never met Luke before. He shatters the illusion of what I think road right. riders yeah, are totally. a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? But like the, probably the maddest thing for me coming from like we did mountain bike downhill racing, individuals only interested in winning is that he signed off on that. And right. he's basically like he's completely selfless. To me, it feels like member of that team, right? That's so different to what we're used to. It, it is crazy. Like I and I I knew that there were people who would go for a win and then they were like domestiques, but I didn't realize how much strategy there was. Like you have a captain and there's communication and all of that stuff. And like he said, like at one point in his career, he was like, oh, that's just not who I am. So either I make the decision to retire or I'm going to be a domestique. The best domestique in the world. Yeah. He he went for that, which meant basically kind of, yeah, like success, but not not that everyone sees. It's, right. You know, it's different, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine how exhausted you are after three weeks of it. But also not the physical side of it, which, you know, we don't even need to talk about. It's yeah. there for everyone to see. But the mental side right. of it, like, yeah. like I mean, it's Luke's like obviously got eyes to, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you have to have a poker face. Like, like imagine. Mile an hour, 200 mile a day. <laughs> We're like riding next to me and they're like, you good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> no. good? Yeah. 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 Just get me another mile's path. All right, well, we're going to wrap things up. The next Just Ride is out in two weeks. We're out every other Tuesday. You can check them all out on redbull.com. And if you feel like looking at us, and not that anyone would want to, I don't want to look at you any longer, Elliot, to be quite honest. We've been in here far too long. You can check the whole thing out on Red Bull TV. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time.